So last week we started a brand new series in the book of Galatians. And we started to unpack it and talking about this thing called the gospel or the good news of Jesus. We said last week that the good news of Jesus is anchored to three things. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We said, hey, you know, a lot of times when you start talking about the gospel in this way, people will ask a question. It's a good question. They'll say, well, hey, why did Jesus have to die? You know, why couldn't he have just, you know, waved a magic wand and forgiven everybody? What does death have to do with forgiveness? And we said last week that death is the engine of life, right? That's why that when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't doing something that was contrary that the, to the way that our world already works. He was actually doing something that was consistent with the way that our world, world works. And you prove that every time you eat. Because for that chicken leg to end up on your plate so that you could live, something had to die, right? And you say, well, hey, that's why I'm a vegetarian. Fine, but the moment you pull that tomato off the vine, uh, it begins to die. And we said that's why things like Twinkies and Ho-Hos aren't good for you, right? Because nothing had to die in order for those things to be presented to you. So every time we eat, we prove that death is the engine of life. So Jesus' death on the cross is just the way our... He, he, wasn't, he was acting in accordance with the way our world already works. And we said that when people hear the good news of Jesus anchored on his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that they normally have one of two responses. The first response is this. They say something like this. Wow, that's, that's awesome, but that's too easy, right? That's just too easy. It's too good to be true. So I'm going to help a brother out. I'll help Jesus out. I'll help Jesus out by, uh, you know, by my own self-will or my own self-discipline. It'll be Jesus and my good works. Jesus and this. Jesus and that. And what we would say is, listen, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus something equals nothing. And so when you try to add something to Jesus, you're starting to lean into a distortion of the gospel. You're starting to lean or trust in something else or someone else uh, to bring you into a right relationship you know, with God. And then we said the second way the gospel gets hijacked is that people say, well, hey, that's great. Because that means because of the death of Jesus, I can live my life any way that I want to, and Jesus has to forgive me. I've kind of got God over a barrel. I've kind of found the loophole, right? The clause in the agreement. And so I can just live detached from God and live my life any way I want to, and he has to forgive me. And we said, no, that's nothing could be further from the truth because at the heart of the gospel is the person of Jesus. And if you don't want Jesus, then you don't want the gospel. That in order to want the gospel, you have to want Jesus. So uh, it's not about fire insurance, right, or an eternal insurance policy. Uh, it's far, far bigger than that. The gospel accesses the life and identity of, of God, not just in the life to come, but in the life that we have to get up and live together tomorrow morning. 
Um, so, uh, so we're going to kind of continue as Paul uh, talks about the gospel. Today we're going to really focus on one of the hopes held out by the gospel that's so incredible. And so let's just kind of dig in. Again, Paul continues to talk, right, about uh, this, this perversion of the gospel, how these false teachers have come in, and they're beginning to teach a different gospel than Paul himself taught. So again, he wants to make it clear, look, what I'm about to say to you, I didn't get from a guy. I'm not making this up as I go along. Here's how he says it. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached to you was not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation directly from Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important because here is what man's gospel always consists of. This is what these teachers were coming in and saying. They were coming in and saying this. They were coming in and they were saying, hey, Jesus is great. Yes, certainly put your trust in Jesus. But you've got to put your trust in Jesus and, and keep all the commandments of the Old Testament. You've got to put your trust in Jesus and be circumcised. You've got to put your trust in Jesus and be baptized. You've got to put your trust in Jesus and do something else. In other words, you've got to help a brother out. I mean, Jesus started a good thing, but he's going to need your help to see it through. So, um, here's man's gospel in a nutshell. Man's gospel says this, I'll earn it. I'll perform. I'll prove I deserve it. I'll earn it. I'll become. I'll do it. I'll control it. Listen, control is a false gospel. It just is. But that's man's gospel. Any kind of performance mindset, right? And this is hardwired deeply into us. We're going to talk about this throughout our series even some more today. Whereas, so whereas man's gospel is I'll do it, Christ comes along, and his is completely different. He says, no, you can't do it because I've already done it. The gospel isn't spelled do, D-O. The gospel is spelled D-O-N-E. And I've already done it, and it rests on me and with me, not you. You can't do it. I've already done it. I've already controlled it. I've already performed it. And I will give it to you freely. You cannot earn it. There is nothing you can do to merit it. It has to be given freely. All you have to do is recognize your need for it, your brokenness, your sinfulness, your waywardness, your stubbornness, your rebellion, your desire to make up the rules as you go along and live your life your way. You have to see your need for it and ask me to come in and pay the penalty that you should have. Die the death you should have died. Right, Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of waywardness, the, wayward, the wages of brokenness is death. So Jesus died the death that you and I deserved to die. And then he goes on. So there's a huge difference between man's gospel and the gospel of Christ. And then look at verse 13. Paul says, 
for you've heard of my uh, previous way of life in Judaism. Uh, many versions say there, you've heard of my former way of life in Judaism. And I think this is absolutely astounding. Listen to me. Listen, look, look, dial in. The hope of the gospel, the hope held out by the good news of Jesus is that you and I in this room can have a former way of life. That the wounds from my past, the brokenness from my past, the decisions of my past don't have to have a bearing on my present. The hope held out by the gospel, folks, is that no matter how you came in here this morning, you do not have to leave that way. You can have a former way of life. And then Paul begins to talk to us about this former way of life right he says listen you've heard of my former life how i intensely persecuted the church and tried to destroy it so the church's greatest enemy has suddenly become its greatest uh, or, or its greatest proponent right and he goes on to say this I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, I want to stop right there. I want you to underline and think about that phrase, traditions of my father, because that's code, and it's code for the teachings of the Old Testament, the law, right? The, the, the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament law of God. And he's saying, look, he's, so what he's saying is, look, I spent my whole life, my former life consisted of an intense study of the Old Testament. And I was all in on checking boxes. I was all in on telling people that they had to follow the rules. And then I came to believe something. I came to believe that the rules could only serve as a diagnostic. They could never solve the problem. Because what happens when you have any rule? Let's take an example. How many of you, when you see a speed limit 55 miles per hour, feel a little guilty from time to time. The, re the answer is probably you don't because you've done over 55 so many times, right, that your conscience is seared, okay? We're all there. But here's my point. Here's my point. The rules only make us aware that we're rule breakers. Like, like, think about an MRI in a hospital, right? When you go to the hospital and you get an MRI, the MRI can diagnose your problem, but it can't give you a cure. And what the author, what Paul is going to tell us week after week in this series is that the law could only diagnose our problem, but it could never bring the cure. It could only make us aware of our need for a Savior, i.e., the man, the person of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. So he says, look, I used to think one way, but now I think a different way. And look what he says, how he describes this in verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased, I love this phrase, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Listen, we serve a God. The God of heaven and earth, the God of creation is a God that is pleased to reveal his son 
in ordinary men and women, men and women who are broken, men and women who are imperfect, men and women who've strayed, men and women who are wayward, men and women who are self-centered and think of themselves first above anybody else. Our God is pleased to reveal His Son in people just like that. And He was pleased to reveal His Son in a violent persecutor of the church. And He's pleased to reveal His Son in you and in me, in us. He says, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And then he, he goes on, right? And he, I want you to note the specificity here. We'll come back to the specificity of all this in a minute. But listen to what He said. He said, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and Damascus. And we know that he stayed there for three years. He go, now, why did he go out into the wilderness? Listen, we already said this was a man who devoted his whole life to studying the Old Testament, and then he meets Jesus. And he thought he had this thing down. He thought he understood the, the Old Testament. And then he realized that he had to start all over. He had to rethink everything. He had to rethink the way he thought about keeping the rules. He had to rethink who the person of Jesus was and what the Old Testament had to say about that, right? So he had to go and just unlearn everything that he'd spent his whole life pursuing. And friends, this is our story too. When someone becomes new in the faith, when someone becomes a new follower of Jesus, they have to learn, you know, new truth and new habits, right? They have to accept and embrace a new story, the story of Jesus. And Paul has to struggle with the same thing. But in order for Paul to do that, he has to unlearn and rethink so much of what he was taught growing up. This is no wonder he called it a former way of life, right? And then look what he says in verse 18. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, what I'm writing to you is no lie. Now, now listen to the specificity here. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea there that are in Christ. Now, I want to stop here and just make an observation. So uh, Paul is being very, he's giving us historical, verifiable details here right he's being very very specific and he's speaking things that could have been uh, disputed or disproven in his day and uh, and he's being very very clear and and here's why this is so important because I think a lot of times when people think about the scriptures or the Bible they have this mindset that it's you know that it's filled with myth and that it's filled with uh, you know, that it's like a fairy tale, you know, and, and all God's people lived happily ever after, right? And nothing could be further from the truth. I want you to notice the language here. Paul didn't say this. He didn't say, hey, you know, I hitched a ride on a Death Star to a galaxy far, far away. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say, hey, I rode a unicorn into a land filled with gumdrops and lollipops. He doesn't talk that way. Or even this, I took a magic carpet ride through Arabia and, and, you know, and Damascus. 
No, he doesn't talk that way, right? He talks in the way that we would talk, talk, and he gives very specific details. And this is one of the reasons that I'm absolutely convinced that the Bible is the Word of God because of its specificity and its historicity. But I digress. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. He says this, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then here's a phrase I want to get in you. And they praised God because of me. They praised God because of my story. Men, women teenagers, kids. I, you know, I don't know where you come from, but I know this. I don't know, you know what's part of your life, what's true of your life. I don't know a thing about many of your past, but I know this. I know, I know, I know, I know that um, God wants you to tell a story, a better story with your life so that people would praise God because of you. I know that. And a better story starts with the person of Jesus Christ. It just starts there. That's the gospel, right? There is no one else coming for you. In other words, you are built to tell a better story. You are built for the glory of God. You just are. Um, So he says, look, you know, um, okay, let me just say it this way. So let me just ask you a question. How are people, who in your life is praising God because of you? Who in your life is praising God because of you? Who in your life is praising God because you are telling a better story? Because you are on mission with Jesus to tell a better story, His story in your life just as paul is doing here right he's talking about his life before he met christ he's talking about how he had an encounter with jesus and then he begins to talk about how everything about his life began to change as a result here's just what i know your changed life is meant to glorify god now listen here's what i know about you i know that sometimes late at night you yearn. I know that you yearn for more. I know that you desire more. And in those moments when you're yearning and there's a desire for more than you're currently experiencing, those yearnings and those desires are pointing you, listen, They are indicators of your need for the residue of God's glory and the residue of God's story to be all over your life. Now, you don't think that way. You wouldn't call it a yearning for the glory of God. You're not even aware that it's a yearning for the glory of God. But every yearning, every longing, every unfulfilled desire in your life can be traced to that need everyone 
And, and listen, we spend so much of life yearning, don't we? So here's the way it looks for all of us. So we might say things like this, oh, I can't wait to get married. No, first we'll say, oh, I can't wait to get, graduate from high school or graduate from college because then my life is my life and it's going to be so cool when I graduate. And then we graduate and it doesn't feel like we thought it would feel, right? And then we spend the next season of our life going, oh, I can't wait to get married or build my career. On the day I get married, oh, then life will be great and, th and everything will be good, right? And then we get married and it doesn't feel quite like we thought it would. He doesn't complete me. She doesn't complete me, right? In fact, we fight more than we uh, get along. What's happening? So see, in some cases, our dreams, our desires, our longings, it starts to backfire on us, right? And then, and then we'll go into a season where we say, oh, life will be so good, it'll be so great when I have my own home. You know, just when I have a place and there's a tree in my yard that I can go out and hug, you know, I mean, then life will be good, right, for me. You see my point? And then we, and then we get that and then we go, oh, life will be great when I have kids, you know? Yeah, some of you are laughing already, right? Because you know how that part works out. See, here's my point. Your yearnings, your desires are meant to point you to something greater than any of those things. They are meant to point you to a bigger story, a better story that only Christ can tell with your one and only life. See, listen, listen to me. Dial in. The problem isn't that you desire too much. The problem is that you desire too little and you chase after the wrong things to fulfill those desires. That's the real problem. So, uh, yeah, you know, we just have to recognize that this yearning, these longings that we have are longings for the glory, for the residue of the glory of God on my life, the longing to live and tell a better story. Listen, when, when you are there, you are in the sweet spot of the universe. You are doing the thing you were made to do with your one and only life. Your story, your life is meant to cause people to glorify God, to praise God because of you. Because of you. Now, I want to introduce you to uh, a new friend of mine. I want to ask Ashley to come up. This is um, Ashley Stein. Would you guys, she's super nervous, so would you guys make her feel um, welcome? Actually, I'm going to actually put you on this side, okay, today. Um, so Ashley, come on over here a little closer to me. So, um, so Ashley, listen, you embody, I think, this phrase, right, of kind of a former way of life. Uh, and you're up here, and I love something that you said to me, um, because, you know, you're here, right, and this is uncomfortable, and there were about a thousand and one places you'd rather be oh, yeah. than up here. But you said something really amazing to me that I'd like them to hear. Tell me why you're up on stage with me this morning. I have been growing with God, and I told him that 
be blatant with me, point it out. I'm not good at hints, but just tell me what to do and I'll say yes. Whatever it is, just I'm gonna start just saying yes and see where it takes me. And it's taking me here. <laughs> yeah, taking you here right now, yeah. right? Yeah, but see, what I love, Ashley, is just your heart, you know, to want every day to get up and say, God, whatever you ask me to do today, I'm going to say yes to that. But you haven't always been that way, have oh, you? Oh, no. No. Yeah, so, so kind of tell us about your former way of life. Tell us a little bit about the God, you know, of your childhood. Um, and how that impacted um, your relationship with God into adulthood. Okay. Um, I grew up uh, with my mom and my sister. We were always in church. Um, religion was a big bar part of our family. My mother was very religious. Um, so church was something that, you know, we knew the memory verses. We knew the songs. It was routine for us. Um, I thought that I, you know, knew everything <laughs> that you could learn in Sunday school or anything like that. And um, it wasn't until I was a teenager, um, my mom got sick and we stopped going to church and our family just started falling apart. There was so much hurt and anger and hate and fighting all the time and it just kept getting worse. And me and my mom got in a really bad fight one night. And she gave me the ultimatum to either stay and follow what she wanted me to do, submit to her rules and her, her way of wanting to live, or I could leave. So I decided that I was going to leave and I was told that I was a mistake and that I wasn't allowed to see my sister. And it really crushed me because she had always taught me religion and faith and love and everything. So when she told me I was a mistake and told me that, you know, it was fine for me to leave, I felt like, you know, my mom didn't love me. And then I was like, well, my mom doesn't love me. She taught me, or you know, you hear in church, you know, God's your father. So if my mom can't love me, how can my father love me? Because, you know, I was comparing him to, you know, her. And so I started looking for love in other people and other things. I was hurting myself and in a really bad place. And I hated, I didn't want anything to do with church or God at all because of, you know, her, you know, how I felt about her and that view of love. Yeah, so, you know, you, so a little time passes, right? And and you're kind of stuck in you, right? Yeah. The hatred, the bitterness, the resentment. And so kind of tell us how you began, how you began to take steps, you know, to leave that behind, to, to, to talk about that in terms of like a former way of life. Um, whenever uh, I met my now husband, we we were talking about getting married, and but I just had so much hate for like everybody else. I it wasn't just that I hated my mom or that I hated God or that I hated. I just I was angry at everybody because I didn't feel loved by anybody, and I had to start unpacking that so that I could move forward and 
God started pulling me to forgive her. So I started trying to pick up those pieces and I contacted her and started trying to forgive her. And then we found out that I was having my son <laughs> and uh, I just, I knew that I wanted him to know a better love, to know, you know, I was starting to grow back into God and I was starting to make those steps, but I knew that I wanted him to have more than me. And so I, you know, I stopped one night and I started praying. I was like, you know, God, just please let me have him. Let me him be healthy. Let me do this. And, you know, thank you. And, you know, I just, I want to start to pull closer to you because I want him to know better than, you know, and to have better than what I did. Because I know my love isn't going to be perfect either, you know, because I started growing in him. And as I started growing into him and started to love him, I realized that I was comparing God's love to my mom. And my mom's human. I'm human. God's not. So even though my mom thought that I was a mistake or she was mad at me or whatever, that he, he wasn't. You know, he didn't hold that against me. And I want him to know that. I want my kids to know that. You know, because I'm not perfect. They're going to disappoint me. I'm sure that we'll have fights. But I want them to know somebody that will love them no matter what, even whenever I mess up. Yeah, and, of course, you know, we talked about, right, that that somebody is Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, and the Scripture says, you know, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, right, while we were still sinners. In other words, while you were living your own story and going your own way and doing your own thing, you know, Christ demonstrated his love by dying in your place right and i think of the book of romans it says that you know nothing can separate us from the love of god that's in christ jesus our lord once we've known that love so i i just have loved how jesus has kind of wooed you know wooed you back right is there just anything else that you'd want to um just say about your journey and um you know how you feel different today than especially maybe during your teen years i just have such a love for everybody and such a passion now that i didn't i i was so angry at everybody and everything and because of that anger and not being able to feel love from other people it was hard to love anybody and now that you know, I feel God's love, and I do feel so much love on a daily basis, and I know that even if I mess up, he's still going to love me, that it makes it so much easier to have that grace and that love for other people. You know, my husband just recently came to God, and my kids are thriving in the kids' zone, and, you know, it's just, it's completely changed a big part of my life yeah. and my relationships with other people. So I didn't do this in the first service, but I kind of want to ask a hard question. That when you say, I have more love, right, does that include your mom? Yes. Yes. Me and my mom. Um, oh, well. My mom passed away four years ago. And after me and her reconnected, me and her bonded our relationship. And about two years after that, she passed. But through that healing, before she passed, we were actually closer than we had ever been before. That's awesome. Hey, listen, would you guys show?
the good news held out by the gospel is that you and I can have a former life. You know, we talk a lot around here about what it means to be a disciple. You know, you've heard this for several weeks around here now, and we're going to keep saying it until you get sick of hearing it, and then we're going to say it a little bit more because we want this to be in you. It's so important that we agree together about who and what a disciple of Jesus really is. And what we've discovered is that the call to be a disciple is um, actually also the definition. And I want to show you this. This is Matthew 4.19. So Jesus is looking at people. And one of the things I love about our God, by the way, is that this is still a call that Jesus is making to ordinary men and women today. This isn't a historical statement. This is a here and now statement. Jesus said this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This tells us three, uh, three, three things that a disciple is. First of all, a disciple is someone who's following after Jesus, right? They're the student. He's the teacher. They're learning from him. They're living surrendered to him every day. They're following him. The second thing we learn about being a disciple is that he's making us into something. This is the former life piece, right? He's changing us. He's growing us. He's making us better. He's making us better husbands and better wives and better sons and better daughters, better employees and better employers, better friends, you know, better uh, classmates. He's just molding and shaping us and making us better. And so part of what it means to be a disciple is the willingness to be shaped and changed by Jesus. And then the last thing this tells us about a disciple is that a disciple is somebody who's on mission with Jesus. They're, uh, they're sharing his story as part of their own story. They're telling a better story with their lives because of the story of Jesus, right? So what that means, and I, so some of you, this is why you're here today. Because some of us have let ourselves off the hook when it comes to change, when it comes to growth. And, uh, and here's how we do it. When somebody points out something in us that maybe needs to be, need, we need to grow through or needs to be changed, here's what I hear a lot of people do. They'll say this, well, you know that's just the way I am. I mean, well, you know that's just the way my family is. I just did that because my mom did that and her mom did that. This is just, you know, in my family. I, this is just the way I am. Friends, disciples, because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, disciples don't get to say that. Because the grace and mercy of Jesus allows all of us to move past where we are. And this leads to a super important point I think it's, we, we need to talk about. So sometimes people will ask me this question. They'll say, well, if God loves me and accepts me just as I am in Christ, why does he ask me to grow and change? And I think that's a great question, so I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk by just sharing a story from my life. So every once in a while, my wife will look at me, and she'll kind of have this, like, wistful 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 that's not the right word anywho we're gonna move on uh, she will have this kind of look in her eye like she's thinking about the past and she'll say honey 
don't you just wish we could go back to when the kids were like real little? Don't you just wish we could go back to that? And I always look at her, and I always say the same thing. Absolutely no. No. I, listen, the, I, it was like a blur to me, honey. The only thing I remember about when our kids were little was how tired I felt, like all the time, right? But no, the answer is absolutely not. And, and part of the reason for that answer, part of it's wrapped up in me, but part of it is rooted. Listen, it, no good parent wants their child to stay a toddler forever, right? I mean, any good parent wants their kid to grow up and to mature and to become and to achieve and, and to know uh, a bigger world than just their crib. I mean, the only world a toddler knows, folks, is its crib and its home. It will never know adventure. It will never know the satisfaction of overcoming. It will never know any of that if it doesn't grow out of toddlerhood. Listen to me. Your heavenly Father wants more for you than just toddlerhood. Because here's the reality. You can be in a 60-year-old body and only have a 2-year-old soul. Or you can be in an 80-year-old body and only have a 2-year-old soul. And so God wants every one of us to grow up. God doesn't want anybody to have a 2-year-old toddler soul. Right? He wants us to keep growing and maturing and achieving and overcoming and experiencing the adventure of a faith-filled life. And that's why God invites us to change. And it's a change that's rooted, it's a call to change that's rooted in the love of God. In other words, it's anchored and tethered to the love of God. In other words, the reason that he's asking us to change is precisely because he loves us and he wants more for us than just spiritual toddlerhood. So, here's what I want to do. I, I'm almost out of time, but I'm going to, I'm going to, Push fast forward. Here's what I want to do. Listen, first of all, because I know what some of you want. Right now, what some of you want is you want me to give you a formula. Okay, pastor, tell me how I need to change. One, two, three. But here's the problem. If I give you one, two, three, you know what's going to happen? You're going to make that your new box to check. You're going to make that your new performance gig before God. That's what you're going to want to lean into. And I don't, we're not going to do that because this is wired into you and me. Just, okay, tell me how to fix myself. This isn't about you fixing yourself. This is about you coming to Christ in such a way that He begins to heal and grow and fix and change you. So while I'm not going to give you three steps, there's only one. His name is Jesus. I am going to talk to you about some ingredients, one of my favorite parables. And I'm going to read through this real quickly. This is Luke 13. Whenever a parable is a, a, a story that has a spiritual moral, and Jesus told a lot of these. Uh, he tells a parable about a, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Uh, let's move on. 
Next verse. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? I mean, he's a businessman, right? He owns the vineyard. He makes money off the fruit of that tree. So his point is, look, this tree isn't bearing any fruit. Let's just cut it down, plant a new one, get something in the ground that in some time, at least anyway, is going to begin to bear new fruit. But the caretaker, the gardener, replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Now, here's what I just want to point out. The gardener in this story is Jesus, and he's the one pleading for this tree. Now, whenever the Bible talks about fruit, it, that's a reference to grow, spiritual growth, spiritual development, the works that flow from a faith-filled life, okay? So the fruit here is you and me. So the good news here, so there's three ingredients that Jesus is going to use, and they're right here in this verse. We're going to keep it up. Let's go ahead and leave that up so everybody can continue to look at it. Here's the first ingredient. The first ingredient to change in your life, folks, listen to me, is just time. It's just time. The, the, the gardener says, leave it alone for one more year, right? So you see the patience of the gardener. The gardener desperately wants this tree to bear fruit. And so he says, let's, let's give it another year. And I just want you to realize that that's how patient Jesus is with you. Hey, let's give it some time. I don't know why it is that sometimes people come to Christ and, and ten things in their life immediately change. And others of us, maybe three or four things will immediately change. And then there's three or four things that just take a little time. It's okay. It's normal for it to take a little time. Let's give it another year. Then he says, I'm going to dig around it. Listen, this is God's Word. The Bible says that God's Word pierces and penetrates and it goes down deep digging around so not only do you need some time to change but you just need some truth you need to learn some new truth the truth of God's Word right and as you get time and you 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 uh, you you hear new truth and you receive that and you begin to apply that new truth and those new habits to your life then it takes root and then he finally says, I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. And this is so important. Don't miss this. You know what that fertilizer is? It's the grace of God. In other words, God is way, way, way more patient with you than you are. Listen, if you have a little time and you have some new truth and, you, and, and your life is being fertilized by the grace of God, um, you are going to become, you are going to begin to talk about a former way of life. I used to think this way, now I feel this way. I used to feel that way, now I feel this way. But, so, but give yourself some time, ingest some new truth. This is why we talk so much about groups, right? Getting you, uh, and listen, if you really want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, I'll say now, our NAV 2-7 groups are the place for you to be because they're going to encourage you to hide God's Word in your heart. If you want to speed up that growth and change track a little bit, 
jump into one of those NAV 2-7 groups. But listen, three ingredients God always has plenty of. God always has plenty of time, God has plenty of truth, and God has plenty of grace, right? Now listen, to drive home this point, because some of you, you want to microwave this, right? You want it to happen right now. Listen, when it comes to time, if God wants to grow a squash, He does it in a summer. But if God's going to grow an oak, He takes a few decades. Which would you rather be? I mean, which one is going to endure the storm? Not the squash. It's the oak. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to have Mike come up, and he's going to give you some concrete opportunities to grow. Let me pray for you. Hey, God, as Mike just comes up, would you use him? Would you just put people, match people, to the right group this morning uh, for those who haven't already joined? God, do a good thing. Connect us to you. God, take time and, and the truth of your word and your grace and use it to help all of us in this room talk about our former way of life. I ask it, I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.